Welcome to the Student Loan Show, recorded live on Facebook. On today's show, a question from a listener who's having a problem with a private student loan and doesn't know where to turn. Also, the federal government says that student loan defaults are going down when they're really going up. Why is that? It's all coming up on the Student Loan Show. Hey everybody, it's Jay Fleischman and welcome to the Student Loan Show. Today we are broadcasting live on Facebook. So first of all, let me tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Jay Fleischman. I am a student loan lawyer and I practice in the state of California as well as in the state of New York. Now for federal student loan issues, those issues I handle nationwide. So if you've got a question about your federal student loans, come on over. I'm happy to answer them because those federal student loans are always going to be based on federal regulations. And federal regulations, of course, are nationwide. With respect to your private student loans, your National Collegiate Student Loan Trust, your private loans from Navient, those I can help you with only in the state of New York and California. Certain things that we'll be dealing with with respect to private student loans in the office are going to be if you're being sued for a private student loan, either that you took out or that somebody else guaranteed for you, debt collection harassment, if you're being harassed by a debt collector, if you're looking to settle a private student loan, those things only in New York or California. Now, if you live somewhere else, you can get in touch with me. I'm happy to try to send you to somebody else. If I know somebody else in your area who's handling these sorts of issues, you can email me at jay at sflawny.com. You can call the office at 866-787-8078. Again, 866-787-8078. And um, you can talk to one of my schedulers who can help hopefully find you somebody near you or uh, you can just go to studentloanshow.com and uh, just click on the link to contact me there. So those are those private student loans, but your federal student loans, no matter where you are, I can help you out with those. And some of the things that I help people out with on those fronts, uh, that's gonna be if you're in default and you need to get out of default. If you've got a question about rehabilitation or consolidation, if you're trying to decide which one of the payment plans is right for you, if you've got questions about loan forgiveness, including public service loan forgiveness, um, if you're facing an administrative wage garnishment or your tax refund is getting offset or they're taking your social security money, Those sorts of things are going to be the things that I'm going to be able to help you with there. But you can go on over to studentloanshow.com. You can email me at jay at sflawny.com. Or you can call the office at 866-787-8078. Okay, cool. Great. So there was a story that came out on uh, September 28th. The U.S. Department of Education released its annual report about student loan defaults, and it got a lot of press. A lot of people were talking all about it. 
Um, federal student loan defaults had gone down. Uh, the default number came out to be 11.3%. So 11.3%, that's 11 out of 100 people are in default. Still a big number, no question about it, but um, lots of people were saying that the student loan crisis isn't nearly as bad as everybody had cracked it up to be. You know, what, uh, 11 out of 100, that's one out of every 10, 1.1 out of every 10. So one out of every 10 people is in default. It's not too bad, right? Well, wrong, because the report only looks at student loans that are in repayment. And specifically, it looks at federal student loans that are in repayment. So that's something that you need to be aware of. Only federal student loans first and second, only those that are in repayment. So the question then becomes, how many of these federal student loans are actually in repayment? Well, the answer is pretty amazing. Um, let's see, it's 40% of, their, of, of the borrowers out there of federal student loans aren't making any payments at all. 40%, so just about half. It's 40 some odd percent. So nearly half of all borrowers are not making payments on their student loans. So, okay, so let's take out that 40% and now we're left at 11.3% of the remainder. So 11.3 out of 50%, that's 22.6 overall, right? Because you half it and you multiply the other one by double. So those numbers are a little bit bigger than we're led to believe. 11.3% of all federal student loan borrowers are in default, but only those that are in active repayment. So those that aren't in repayment, who are those? Those are the people who are in deferment, who are in forbearance, who are in school. Those people all taken out of the mix. All of those people are gone. So not all that many of them are, uh, are actually in, in repayment, I guess. Um, so beyond that, the next issue becomes one of, um, hang on one second, I need to try to get into here. Okay. All right. I just needed to get into Facebook to see the live stream with the Q&A. So 11.3% are in default. Okay. High number when you consider only half of those outstanding federal student loans are actually in repayment. But now let's get to the next level. There's a hidden statistic in here. And that hidden statistic is that um, according to data, and I'm, I'm reading directly from Bloomberg here, data analyzed by researchers at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and the Treasury Department suggests that student loans defaults within the first three years of repayment account for only half of the total number of eventual defaults. Now, the report that was put out on uh, September 28th with the 11.3% default rate, that's a cohort. 
that's the 11.3% of all student loans that were taken out in 2013 have gone into default as of 2016. So it, it measures three years. But then, according to the statistic, only half of the defaults happen in the first three years. Why, why is that? Well, the answer is pretty simple because you get three years of forbearance on your federal student loan. So during your first three years, you're probably not even in repayment. In fact, more people are in forbearance in the course of the first three years of their federal student loan than anything else. Most people aren't making payments. Most people are in forbearance. A lot of people are in deferment. They've gone back to school, but they're not in active repayment. So you're taking a very small chunk of people and you're only looking at a subset of it. The reality is that uh, more than twice as many borrowers who entered repayment in 2009, again, I'm quoting from Bloomberg, uh, more than twice as many borrowers who entered repayment in 2009 had defaulted by their fifth year and by their third year. And that's according to research published uh, last year in 2015 by the Brookings Institute. Brookings Institute. For example, in the year that ended June 30th, more than 1.1 million Americans defaulted on student loans direct from the Department of Education. Loan defaults are up 2.7% through the first three fiscal quarters of this year, compared with 2015 data shows. So federal student loan defaults for federal loans are actually up 2.7%. Don't tell me that the problem of student loan default isn't real. Don't tell me that the crisis isn't real. Don't tell me that everybody's really paying their student loans and this is a media concoction. It's not a media concoction. 2.7% more people are now in default than they were last year at this time. Stunning. So. What, what does this have to do with you, right? Either you're paying or you're not paying, but what do the numbers have to do with you? The fact that defaults are going up, and these are federal only, we haven't even talked about the private student loans because the U.S. Department of Education doesn't look at those numbers. Federal student loan defaults are up. Private student loans, Department of Education doesn't even look at those numbers. So we don't even know what that is. But what does this mean for you? This means that all of the talk about federal student loans and about student loan default and about changes that need to be made to the student loan system that are going on now in the press and in the presidential debate, those are things that are only going to become more and more important as time goes on. Because as those defaults continue to rack up, as those numbers continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger, that creates a strain on the education department. That creates a strain on the federal government because without money coming in, there's either less money to give out, which is entirely likely, or there's less money to do other things with. 
the government requires this money in order to continue rolling on the budget. So if the money's not there, then we've got some real economic problems. And that's why the candidates are talking about this. Now, both candidates have different ideas on how to solve the problem, but at least they're both talking about solving it. At least they're both talking about the things that they think are right, but they they know that there's a problem out there. And you know that there's a problem out there, whether you're paying your loans and struggling like hell to get by, or you're not paying your loans and scared witless. It's a big issue. It's a big problem. And note, I only talked about the two candidates. I only talked about the two major candidates. And I'm not talking about uh, Gary Johnson. I'm not talking about Jill Stein. Um, Personally, I don't think that either one of them has a chance of winning. And yes, if every federal student loan borrower rose up and voted for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson, sure, they'd win. But the reality is that that's not happening. All federal student loan borrowers are not going to rise up en masse and vote for a third-party candidate. It's just not going to be the way that it's going to happen. So... That's why I'm only talking about the two major ones. I'm only talking about the Democratic candidate and the Republican candidate. So take a look at what they have to say about federal student loans. Take a look at what they have to say about the solution that they propose and vote from there. Obviously, vote on a lot of issues. Not many people are a single-issue voter. But you want to be able to take a look at this specific one if it impacts you. And I think that it impacts you even if you don't owe any money for student loans. I think that this issue impacts you even if you don't owe a dime for student loans, don't expect that you ever will, and don't expect that anybody in your family ever will. Because... With student loan defaults continuing to climb, again, if you dig into the numbers, 2.7% higher default rate than it was last year. In spite of the fact that they're saying that it's gone down from 11.8% to 11.3%, overall, the student loans that are in repayment, that default rate has gone up 2.7%. Not good, not good, folks. Not good at all. So with those student loan default rates going up, what do you have? You've got a greater strain on the economy. So don't think that it doesn't impact you. Don't think that you don't have a dog in this hunt. Realize that if you're part of this society, if you're part of this country, and you are, Heck, if you're part of this world, the dollars mean something. Rising defaults mean there's less money to go around for other things, whether it's for student loans or for social welfare programs or for paving the roads or anything. You name it. Keeping the lights on in the Capitol, if you care about that. Some people do. A lot of people don't. A lot of people say, let Congress sit in the dark wherever you stand. That money is important. And less money coming in 
that's a bad thing, right? Definitely a bad thing. So uh, let's take a look at some Q&A. And um, let's see what we've got in the hopper. Now, I do have a whole bunch of Q&A that came in by email to me. And you can submit your Q&A. You can submit your questions uh, by going to studentloanshow.com and uh, clicking the button. So you can definitely do that. So let's, uh, let's grab a question. I actually have uh, one that was sitting here. Okay. Um, hang on one second. Okay, there we go. interesting question. Uh, this comes from Kiara and I've looked at the question, but I haven't, I, I haven't formulated an answer. So we're going to work through it together. Um, in other words, I, I don't already have an answer pre-written out. So you're going to hear my mind as the wheels turn. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's helpful for you. I don't know. So let's see, here's the question. Hello, Jay. My name is Kiara. I came across your page. I have three student loans, one private and two federal. I had these loans since I was 19 years old and now I'm 28. I tried making payments, had to stop because I was in school and also wasn't getting enough pay from jobs I was working at. Yeah, that happens all the time, right? You, know, you come out of school and you think you're going to make enough money and um, the dollars just don't flow. So... Um, uh, I had stopped making payments, had to file for bankruptcy this year in February, and the discharge was in June. Congratulations on uh, getting through the bankruptcy process. Uh, sounds like if you went in in February, you came out in June. That was a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Nice, quick, and easy. Hopefully, you got rid of uh, significant other amounts of loans. Um Discharge was in June. My student loans came back, of course, two weeks ago, and I have to start making payments. I went to studentloans.gov to do a debt consolidation a few days ago, and my lender received the application, and they will get back to me if I get approved, etc. And now my biggest concern is the private loan, and the lender is EDMC Discount. And I talked to them last year, and they are not willing to work with me or Navient. Or Navient? Hmm. I'm guessing that by this, Kiara means that Navient is the servicer on that EDMC discount loan. Uh, I'm stuck with this loan with adjustable rate, and I don't know what to do. I was thinking about defaulting, but I don't want to. I haven't received a degree. and was only at the Art Institute nine months, and I left because I could not afford to go anymore. Do you have any suggestions? I'm very depressed and I don't know what to do at this point. And no one wants to help. Okay. First of all, you're in a bad situation, but you know that already. You went through bankruptcy and you're just out of it. So you're just rebuilding yourself. So uh, the first thing that I want to touch on is the last statement. I'm very depressed. Look, I know this is not an easy situation to be in, but it's only money. That's all this is, is money. And money isn't your health. Money isn't your family. Money isn't your friends. 
And in the hierarchy of needs, in in the food chain, I guess you call it, of what's the most important to you? Roof over your head, food on your plate, clothes on your back, for yourself as well as for the people who rely upon you financially. That's the most important thing. Roof over your head, food on your plate, clothes on your back, for you and the people who rely upon you. And that includes gas and electric and water and basic phone system, uh, basic TV needs, um, transportation, gas in the car, stuff like that, uh, if you've got a car. So those are the most important things. Take care of them first, whatever's left, then we'll talk about the student loans because the student loans are of lesser importance, okay? The student loans and all debts are of lesser importance because you're of no good to anybody if you can't afford to pay the rent and you're battling an eviction. You're no good to anybody if you're not able to feed yourself, if you can't keep clothes on your back, if you can't get gas in the car or, or, uh, or uh, transportation to and from work. Because if you can't do that, then you can't get to work and you can't make money, right? Okay, so those are the most important things. From what's left over, then we'll talk about the student loans. And I, I'm guessing that now that you've been through bankruptcy, those are the only things that you have left. Student loans are the only thing that's left on your plate. Uh, hopefully everything else has been wiped out in bankruptcy. So the first thing is let's talk about your federal student loans. You said that uh, you went to studentloan.gov. Student loans, by the way, studentloans.gov is the U.S. Department of Education's centralized website for, um, for all things federal student loans. You can get a listing of all your federal student loans at uh, NSLDS. You can do your consolidation for free, no charge, no hassle, easy peasy. Don't pay anybody for that, by the way. Consolidation, don't pay anybody to do it. Maybe you need to figure out if consolidation's right for you. Sure, uh, maybe pay a professional, me or somebody who's like me, uh, to help you with that assessment, but don't pay anybody to do your consolidation. Waste of money, waste of money, waste of money, and especially if you don't have a lot of money, don't waste your money, right? Okay, good. So you go to studentloans.gov, you did your debt consolidation, you did your student loan consolidation, and um, you're waiting to find out if you got approved. Okay, there are very few situations when you're not gonna get approved. One is if you only have one direct loan. Direct meaning a loan where the US Department of Education is your direct lender, okay? And every federal student loan from July 1st, 2010 onward is a direct loan. But if you only have one, then you can't consolidate it, okay? Second, if you're under an existing administrative wage garnishment, okay? If you've got administrative wage garnishment going on, got a problem. If you're in active litigation on your federal student loans, 
you've got a problem. Anybody else? Consolidations, easy. You're already approved. Congratulations. Takes about 30 to 90 days for the paperwork to go through, but you're golden. Assuming that you fit in the mold, you're good. No application, no credit score, um, no, no cosigners, none of that. So, okay, you, you're going to do that federal student loan consolidation when you come out of consolidation. And consolidation is kind of like refinance. You take all your existing federal student loans, you bundle them together. The U.S. Department of Education pays them all off and a brand new one is issued. Same balance, same weighted interest rate. So if you've got uh, a bunch of federal student loans in, with different interest rates, the consolidation loan will weight those interest rates. Um, so same weighted interest rate, same overall weighted interest rate, uh, same balance. The only thing that happens is it's a brand new loan. Three new years of forbearance. Don't use forbearance, by the way. You know that already. If you've listened to me, don't use forbearance. You get your three more years of forbearance. You get new deferment. Um, you get uh, new amortization. So your new 10-year standard repayment, you start 10 years all over again. Uh, it's a brand new loan. Fresh, brand new piece of paper. When you get that consolidation done, you want to first look at any income-dependent repayment options that may be available to you. And there are a lot of them. And not everyone is right for every income-dependent repayment plan. So spend a lot of time. Look at them all carefully. Run your numbers six ways till Sunday. Don't just jump into an income-dependent repayment plan because it may not be the best for you both now and in the very short long term, the, the near term. You know, it may be good for you today, but maybe you're getting married next month. Well, what's that going to do? May change which of the federal income-dependent repayment plans are right for you. So you want to get into an income-dependent repayment plan. And by the way, even if you're not employed, you can be in an income-dependent repayment plan because those repayment plans base the amount due, the payment amount due, based upon what your income is. And your, if your income is zero, then your payment is zero for the most part. Um, but run the numbers, figure out which one is best for you. I can help you with that. A lawyer who does the stuff that I do can help you with that. Or you can do it on your own. It takes a little bit of a little bit of uh, time, a little bit of energy, a little bit of patience. Um, you know, take your time, go through it, but figure out which payment is going to be best for you. Because doing that may very well leave you with enough money to pay your private student loans, which is the bear, right? That's like the 8,000-pound gorilla in the room sitting in the corner scratching his head looking hungry and you're looking like dinner because private student loans there are no income dependent repayment plans there is no 
there is no consolidation. There's refinance, but refinance is a private matter through a private bank and their decision to refinance your private student loans or not is going to depend upon your credit. So if you've got bad credit, if you don't make a lot of money, you're probably not going to get approved. Maybe you're going to need a guarantor, which means that you're going to put somebody else on the hook for you. You know, if you don't make the payments, they're going to have to make the payments. They're 100% legally liable. You don't want that to happen. So if your credit's not good, or if you don't make a lot of money, refinance isn't going to do anything for you. If you just came out of bankruptcy, I, I'll but guarantee the fact that you're going to have a hard time getting a refinance. And it may not even be worth your effort to, uh, to try to do that at this point. So you want to free up as much money as you can for private student loan payment. You've got an adjustable rate interest, adjustable interest rate. You've got a lender that doesn't want to work with you. And work with you, I'm guessing, means uh, they're not willing to accept less money. Um, they're not willing to change the payment terms. They're holding steadfast to this. So you want to do everything that you can to free up as much money as you can so that you can go ahead and pay those private student loans. Cutting your, your federal student loan payments looking at your expenses and cutting some of those. You know, do you need all of those cable channels? Do you need cable at all? We cut the cord in my house two years ago. That means we got rid of all cable TV. We still have internet, but we lost, we gave up all cable TV. Every bit of it. We got a digital antenna for 40 bucks put it up on the roof. We could have also just put it in the living room, it turns out. I didn't know. So you can put it in the living room. 40 bucks. We already had Amazon Prime. Netflix, Hulu, and Sling TV because we've got some sports fans in the family. And Sling TV gives you all the ESPN and TNT and TBS. It also gives you CNN and a whole bunch of other stuff and that's 20 bucks. Um, all in, all in. We get everything that we had before and we're saving like a grand a year. We're saving $1,000 a year. So look at your cable. Do you really need all that cable? Look at your car insurance. 70% of all drivers never change their car insurance. That blew my mind when I write about it. Seven out of 10 people start off with one insurance company and never leave. And of course, the insurance is cheap for the first year or two, and then the costs tend to creep up. But of course, if seven out of 10 people are never gonna change, well, okay, that's how they make all their money. It's like a teaser rate on, uh, on the credit cards. If, any, if, uh, if you remember, used to be that uh, 1.9 for six months, and then it goes up to you know 24.99 or something. So look at your car insurance. Look at your cell phone. Yeah, I know you've had Verizon for the past 10 years, and 
they never let you down and you always get your calls through. But maybe it's time to look at another provider. Maybe it's time to look at uh, some of the prepaid providers, the Republic or Metro PCS or even going over to T-Mobile. See what's less expensive out there. Cut whatever costs you can and throw that money at the private student loans to pay those down as quickly as you can. Now, if you can't do that, if you can't make the private student loan payments, you're going to go into default. It's going to happen. Look, you don't want it to happen, but unless you're in a position to either make more money or spend less money, ideally both, then it's just the reality. It's going to happen. So what you do at that point is take whatever money you do have and um, put it off to the side. Open up a separate savings account. Open up a digit account. Digit.co. What, what Digit does is it automatically saves for you. It's a separate savings account. You give it access to your checking account. It studies your, uh, your spending patterns. And every once in a while, it dips into your checking account and pulls a couple of bucks out that you're not going to need based upon your spending habits. And um, I've used it for a year and a half, about a year and a half. And it works really well. And it's a great way to save. And I don't even notice the money gone. It really does an excellent job. And it's never overdrawn me. Um, In fact, if it does overdraw you, uh, they will pay you money. They will actually pay you, which is great. Um, So um, open up a digit account, throw money into that every week, every two weeks, every month, however often you get paid. um, Because at some point, they're either going to come to you with a sweetheart deal or a repayment plan that you can live with or they're going to sue you and you're going to need to hire a lawyer to try to get the case settled at that point. Lawsuit's not something that you want to have happen, but it's not the end of the world. It's just another collection attempt. And so long as you defend that lawsuit and you do it effectively, it can really work out well for you. So, so, um, go ahead and, um, start socking money away. Now, they can take some time if they're going to sue you, depending upon your state. Like in New York, for example, it's six years from the date that you go into default, from the date that you stop making payments. Six years they can sue you. Well, so it may be a little bit of time. Okay. A little bit of uncertainty. Maybe you want to talk to an attorney about uh, acting as an intermediary with the debt collectors trying to negotiate a settlement. Maybe you want to do it on your own. It's entirely up to you. You don't need to have a lawyer for it, but you certainly can. Um, But if you're going to go into default, you're going to go into default. The only thing that you can do is control what happens while you're in default. Control that savings. Control your spending. Reduce your federal student loan payments using an income-dependent repayment plan. Those are the steps that you want to take to put yourself in the best possible situation. No, you don't want to be in default. But if it's going to be, at least you remain in control. I hope you have enjoyed this show. I hope you have all enjoyed 
this Facebook Live session for the Student Loan Show. My name is Jay Fleischman. You can find out more at studentloanshow.com. You can ask a question. You can join the Facebook group. You can sign up for my free six-part email course. Tons and tons and tons of great freebie information there. I'm going to be back here next week. I'll see you next time.